0: Welcome to the Mob Squad, we're real moms of boys juggling life, love, a clean house, and being outnumbered by balls. We say
1: bad words, we vent, we cry, we laugh a lot, and sometimes we can be a bit inappropriate.
0: But hey, we're moms of boys, so anything goes. Let's face it, we have real shit and we know you do too. Life gets hard and messy, but we're not alone and we're never quiet. We know you're one of us, and
1: we're so glad you're here. So grab your favorite drink, fill up that bathtub, or get your fitness on, and let's get this podcast started. It's going to be a wild ride, so buckle up, and let's go. Um, <laughs> I just jumped right into it. You did. You
0: scared Hi, me. Hi, welcome back to the Mob Squad. I'm Amanda.
1: And I am Arielle.
0: And how's, how's it going? How's life? It's crackalackin'. Crackalackin'. We're into the school year, halfway through the first quarter. And mornings are still a little bit hard getting up early. I don't know if we're ever going to be morning people. My middle yeah. one is always like, oh my God, why is school start so early yeah. <laughs> every day? Like, don't worry, you'll get used to it. But now we're knocking on the door of fall break. So right. I don't think he's going to get used to it. Yeah. You know?
1: It takes time to adjust your sleep schedules for mm-hmm. sure. I know that from a coaching standpoint and also from a real life experience. I feel like... I was not a morning person my whole life until we had kids, and then I remember my oldest getting up at six a.m. or earlier, and that was never a time I was awake. So it took, it took I feel like six or seven years for me to change. So by the time he adjusts, he might be done with school. But I feel like you're a morning person, though. No, no,
0: no, no. You're up earlier than me.
1: I used to be such a zombie. Yeah, like a zombie, and I and I'm up. I have adjusted a lot. So now I'm more of a morning person, but this was, okay. So my oldest is 12. This was 12 years ago. I was not a morning person.
0: Oh, me either. When I, oh God, when I had a baby, my first baby, I was not a morning and he would wake up at five o'clock in the morning. Yeah. Yeah. I actually wanted to kill him. Yeah. I didn't like it. I was Very a zombie. Much, I, I was like, like <laughs> barely awake. Yeah.
1: And I would just sit on the couch and he'd like watch TV and I'd be like, I'm not awake.
0: I would go put him in his bouncer at by the time he was like old enough to bounce Mm. and lay next to the bouncer and fall asleep on the floor (laughs) while he bounced. And sometimes I'd wake up and he would be asleep in the bouncer. He bounced himself to sleep. That's so funny. (laughs) That's actually
1: like a a mom hack, I feel like. I should have found out about that Yeah, put
0: those babies in bouncers, let them fall asleep. Yeah, wear themselves out and go back to bed. And then I find just, they're not going anywhere. Yeah. I feel like I, since I've been doing that PEMF therapy that I told Mm -hmm. you about last week, I, it's done this whole reset on my body, so I'm getting a lot better sleep, and that's amazing. It's awesome. Like I'm waking up now before my alarm, which I've never done in my whole life, and I actually right. feel a little bit weird telling you that because I don't want to jinx it.
1: <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Yeah, knock on. Because I'm knock, knock on, on
0: whatever that is. What is that marble? Marble and, and some <laughs> kind of metal. Marble. Yeah, so <laughs> I am getting up a lot earlier. Yeah, and it's kind of awesome. Yeah, but I'm also going to sleep a lot earlier yes now that i think is
1: what took me a long time too was adjusting the bedtime Mm -hmm. because i would get energy at night and then you have to like shift that and then i eventually when you're getting up early enough your body starts to get tired earlier yeah now i feel like i'm in a i'm a baby grandma same because i'm getting (laughs) tired at like seven grandma (laughs) (laughs) i am like, I'm not a literal one, but I am, like, getting there. You're knocking
0: on the door. I'm knocking
1: on the door of grandma. Senior Hood.
0: citizen land. <laughs> I feel the same exact way.
1: It's just, I get so tired so early now. I'm like, who am <laughs> so I? So have to
0: get up at 5 o'clock in the morning.
1: Yeah, but it's just weird because yeah. before, it's just it's just a weird
0: transition. I don't know. Mm-hmm. I, mean, I wonder how much of it is age and right. like how, how much, much is of it. Because both of us age. are getting up a lot earlier than we've ever had to get up. yeah. Before in the yeah. last five years or right. so, right? So I wonder how much, it, but we're also reaching a particular age. I know, baby grandmahood. So I don't know. I don't know. Either. I don't know what the, anyway. Well, anyway.
1: Well, so how do you um, feel about your episode, your last episode?
0: Yeah. So part one of our um, exploration of depression and selling, or selling, <laughs> sharing our stories. <laughs> Um, I feel really good. I felt very nervous to share that. It was yeah. really hard for me to put that out there because I hadn't even shared it with my nearest and dearest. I mean, Chris well, knew a little bit about it. people want to talk about. Yeah.
1: You're not like, well, hey, guess what? I'm depressed. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I actually shared you know? it with my mother-in-law yesterday. Because I am healing. Mm -hmm. I'm really happy to report that I'm healing. I'm still working out every day. I'm still doing my PEMF. I'm still, I'm trying to meditate more, which I know I've talked about a lot, but Mm -hmm. I actually am being really thoughtful and doing that. I am journaling and all of those are steps in my healing. I don't think I'm totally out of the woods because I still feel, I still feel it like creeping up a little bit in certain times, Mm. but I'm also very aware when it's creeping up and then I have to be mindful and do what I need to do to sort of move on from whatever that feeling is. You right. Know? right. So, I think
1: awareness is so important Yeah,
0: because
1: I know when you're busy in your life and all of a sudden you're feeling, I don't even know what to call it, like down feelings, I guess. Mm-hmm. Is that how you would describe it? Down. Yeah. Sad. Just sad. And you don't know why. Yeah, And if you don't recognize that, which I feel like is part of depression and why depression happens is that you are not paying attention to those cues mm-hmm. like you have to have that awareness to stop it right and that's why I think it gets to the point of
0: depression but if you've never had that before you won't know you don't know exactly. you have no idea which is it's kind of the case for me you know that was right. the case for me and I think maybe in hindsight looking at my life holistically in the big picture then maybe there have been times where I've dabbled with it a little bit but mm-hmm. it, it never got to the point where it did. Yeah. Recently. Right. Where I did feel hopeless and I thought everyone around me was wrong. And yeah. Everything's just negative. It was awful. Yeah, yeah. It's the worst. So I have been sharing a little bit more and I've helped people by op- opening up and being vulnerable with them. They felt safe to open up and be vulnerable with me. That's and awesome. the beauty in this really scary thing that I shared is that I've gotten to connect with a lot of people that you know you think have it all together at all times and it turns out they're going through life just like me and they're they felt relief in knowing that they weren't alone and I found comfort knowing that I'm not alone and if we just talk about it more then maybe we'll help
1: yeah each but other. it's like how do you talk yeah. about it you just say like yeah. oh by the way there's just never a good time to bring this, it up yeah like what there's not yeah. it's just and there's nothing worse I feel like than Starting a conversation about something like that and being interrupted or distracted with life or kids or having a phone call or whatever comes up, Mm -hmm. you know, it's just like one of those things that's hard to talk about and get out. And I mean, I think there's so much vulnerability in it that it's scary. Mm -hmm. So, well, I
0: I, just to your point, I was with my mother in law yesterday. Yeah. And I haven't seen her in a while, partially because of me and what I was going through, but also life has been really busy and getting back into school or whatever. And the kids just started sports. So she came and I don't know what happened, but I did just, she was like, how are you? And I felt like she was really being genuine. She's always genuine. She's a nice, yeah. she's very nice yeah. and loving just lady. it like a good moment. But it was the right time for me to tell her at my son's football game.
1: Yeah.
0: Um, and she was just like, how are you doing? How's your body healing? And I'm like, I'm actually doing so much better. Thank you. And she was like, oh, good. You know, and then I shared with her everything that I shared last week and she got really emotional and she said i had no idea because you're always on you're always so on Mm. and she's like why didn't you ever say anything and exactly what you said when is there a good time should i have brought it up at you know book and writer the other night at dinner (laughs) like no there's just like not those moments time. maybe that's part of
1: our culture now because we're so go 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 and we're you know doing so many million things. And there's no like sitting on the front porch and sipping your tea. Like there's just no downtime. There's no quiet moments. There's no, you know, just genuine conversation, Mm -hmm. genuine conversation. And I, I don't know. I just think that there's
0: that's the way that we live is just not conducive to that. Well, nobody wants to bring the party down. Right. right? That too. You don't like, be it. A- and then sometimes people feel, and I don't, maybe some people aren't aware of this,
1: but I always feel like I don't want to unload on people all the time. If I'm always unloading on mm-hmm. you, then that's not fun to be around either. Right. You know, but there are moments where I think, and it takes like a good friendship to know when something's off. Mm-hmm. Like we did today. <laughs> um, I know. I know. It's. It's, but not everybody has that too, you yeah. know? So, well, they have it in us. Yeah. So, and they hopefully will have that someday. Don't cry. You're going to make me cry. <laughs> <laughs>
0: well, I wasn't ready for you to say that.
1: Well, I don't know why it's making mm. you cry, though. Because
0: Here. that was, that was a nice thing. That was like, oh,
1: but- <laughs> I already okay. cried my yep. eyes
0: out before right. the podcast. I don't want to do it again. Annie Mahousi.
1: Any see, my favorite. <laughs> Moving on. So um, yeah. yeah. So it is. So you opened up to her, and it felt good to yeah. And she cried, it. and I
0: cried, and I, I there was like no hold bar. I told her that I wanted to divorce her son at oh, one no. point. Yeah. I told her that I thought about suicide. At not the football game. Yeah. <laughs> I mean. I know there's no good time.
1: There is. so isn't.
0: I don't know if it was the humidity or the breeze or whatever. In the it was air. something in the air that day. I. I that there was a moment and in in my journey towards healing and and being vulnerable and being open and not as guarded, especially with people I love who Mm -hmm. really want to be there with me. I don't ever want to go through that again. Yeah. Or how I felt really alone. I want to be able to call my mother-in-law. My mom doesn't live here. Yeah. So if I need her and I know if I did, I could and she would be there. Right. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. But that's never going to happen if I don't also open up and feel vulnerable with her. Right. Trust her. Right. That she's going to help it be okay if I need her to. So she was really thankful that I opened up and I shared with her. Also, I just put it out to the world on this podcast, yeah. right? So, you know, I don't want her to hear about it through a third person. Yeah. Um, But it ended up being really, this really lovely conversation. That's awesome. That I left feeling really loved and supported. and Aww. Yeah. And she shared some stuff with me. So it was, it was good. That's awesome. It was really good.
1: I think that's the biggest takeaway from everything we were just talking about Was is that, and I know we just had this conversation right mm-hmm. before the podcast, but it feels like, and maybe this needs to be said, but may, it feels like everybody has their shit together mm-hmm. all the time, right? Yeah. Like from the outside looking in, it just feels like you're the only one struggling with something or you're the only one who can't, you know, make dinner every night. Like I'm always so tired and then I feel guilty about not, being a better mom. And I just think there's so many other people that just look like they have it together. And part of that is social media. I know Mm -hmm. it has to be, but even before social media, I feel like when we were younger, I still felt like everybody looks like they have this perfect, like compared to my family, Mm -hmm. my neighbors looked like they had a great happy family and my family wasn't like that or my cousins look like they had a great happy family like mom and dad love each other mom and dad love the kids there's no fighting like it just always looks like that because you're obviously not seeing what's happening behind closed doors Mm -hmm. but then you even pointed out they don't like not everybody everybody has something right everybody has something and nobody's perfect and I and I've and I used to look at my husband's family like this when we were in high school because we've known each other for a really long time. And I feel like I used to look at his family like they all had their shit together and that they were perfect and that siblings didn't fight and husbands and wives didn't fight and things and I'm not saying that they do, but I'm saying I now being part of their family have seen things that I didn't see before and it has opened my eyes a little bit to that you know what they're not perfect either. Nobody is. I've mm-hmm. no I have not met anybody who's perfect, but we think that they are. And then we feel bad about it. And I don't know if that's part of feeling depressed or know. if it's a result of not having deep friendships,
0: everything's surface level. Maybe a little bit of both.
1: Yeah, maybe. I don't know. I'm just talking about it because yeah. it's something that I guess... I'm trying to work through, but
0: I just, I think social media plays a huge role in that. I
1: know. Everybody says like, it's your highlight reel. And it for sure is. Yeah, no one wants to post. I don't post any of the my fights, problems. <laughs> <Three
0: laundry. laughs> I mean, that's
1: not true. I feel like sometimes I do. Sometimes I'm, I'm very, I'm just an honest
0: person and You're I like to be honest. The exception to the rule.
1: But like, I know for one anniversary, I posted something like hey we happy anniversary I love my husband it's been 10 years I don't know if it was our tenure I feel
0: like it was so it's yeah to I mind. think you talked about this once before I feel like it was 10 years and I
1: was something like and then Austin made me feel bad like why would you post that or something and I'm like I don't know because that's our life I'm, I'm not going it real yo yeah
0: on the real and I know
1: <laughs> that even though I'm saying it and not everybody says it mm-hmm. that everybody has those problems everybody has their ups and downs
0: everybody does that's called life
1: Right. right. Nobody's perfect. We're all here to learn things. Mm-hmm. We're not in heaven. It's not perfection all the time. It's not happiness and rainbows and butterflies all the time,
0: but it feels but, like it is. So I was just listening to a podcast and Oprah. Hi, Oprah. Was on it. Okay. <laughs> I didn't know she was doing interviews, but she did it for one of her friends. Uh huh. And she talks about, she just wrote this book. Mm-hmm. I don't, I forget what it's called. Beloved maybe or. Okay. Anyway, I'm only halfway through the podcast, but. Yeah. She talks about how life is really hard and people have their struggles. Every person, even Oprah, has her struggles, right? right? And how she gets over it. She's not envious of anyone. Yeah. And because that was one of the questions that the interviewer asked is, who do you envy? And she said, no one. And they like called Oprah her. Said Oprah said, said no one. Friend. The podcaster interviewee, and the podcaster said to Oprah, Oprah, who are you envious of? And Oprah said, nobody.
1: Yeah. But and then they called everything. her
0: out. It wasn't about having everything because she's had her struggles like she had. For sure. Right. She's had. But she doesn't have everything. I get it. Struggles and all that. Totally. Yeah. But she's also like taking a beating in social media and and because of the Maui situation. And she talks about that. Anyway, that's not the point. The point is, she says, who do you envy? Oprah says, I don't envy. I'm envious of no one. Yeah. Because I have never. And they go on and on. They're like, come on, you envy somebody. Right. Right. And they're like, no, because I think they were thinking exactly like that. Yeah. You have everything. Of course, you don't envy anybody because everybody wants to be you. Right. And she says it's not about that. It's about walking a day in in their shoes. Right. Like Mm -hmm. you don't have any idea what's going on in anybody's they might seem like they all have it together. Right. But they don't. So I concentrate on putting one foot in front of the other every single day. Mm -hmm. And I and then she used this analogy of like she climbs this mountain Mm -hmm. and they go to this like hope tree or whatever. And she said when she first started climbing this mountain, it took her like an hour, almost two hours okay. to do it. And then she said, today, I'm going to go a little bit further. I'm going to go a few steps further. And every day that she goes when she can't go anymore. Now it takes her like 40 minutes to get to this soap tree because she's been working on it every day. Mm-hmm. She turns around to look at how far she's come. And she envies herself because yeah. she lives in all of that like power and glory of like, Look what I did! This took me two hours to get up this mountain. Yeah, six months ago, now it takes me forty minutes. And I look at the journey it took for me to get right here. Yeah, I just thought it was like so profound. I thought that was such a good way of looking at instead of looking at what everybody else has. Right? Do you know what I mean? Does yeah. that make, Am I making sense? Maybe yeah. I need to bring Oprah on so she can explain it <laughs> just better. Sure. Call her up. You're looking Amanda. at me like like you don't get it when I'm. Saying. <laughs> I'm trying like, to
1: understand it. This, like, so is this like a meditation she does? No, or she's she just like, like, just
0: like it's part of like her well being and health. Like she goes for a walk.
1: Yeah. Oh, she's she's, so she's literally doing this. She's
0: literally doing this. She'll oh, go on her like watch. She's on explaining about- why she's not envious of other people because she's not walking their journey. Yeah. She doesn't know what it took for them to get there. Yeah. She might not want to know. There might have been some terrible things that happened. Or, right. 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 Like the point is, is we look at everybody else and think they have it all together. Mm-hmm. But we should be focused on what it took for us to get to where we're at and look at the journey that we got. Yeah. And keep putting one step in front of the other because you're going to get a little further every day if you just concentrate on that yeah does that make sense yeah do you I have to I'm delete just... that whole part out am i gonna confuse the world
1: no no i'm just i was just trying to picture what she was actually doing she was actually like hiking when you're like she looks back and says look how far i've come it's it's literally it's literal. she's, like, on a mountain she's literally
0: okay. saying okay.
1: and i think everybody I, has their journey yeah, yeah for sure like you don't know what anybody's struggling with right and i think To your mother-in-law's point, like she said, you always look Mm -hmm. like you're on or whatever. Mm -hmm. Like, I feel like that about you. You're always happy. Always like, I mean, obviously we're close friends and I've seen you in moments where you're not, but I do feel like you have it together because you are so like put together and just positive. You're just Mm -hmm. a positive person. I think. Yeah,
0: but I'm dying on the inside like so many other people. Yeah. And
1: I've heard that before. You know, like people who seem super happy are just maybe Mm -hmm. not really like that's like a show for people, but it's really like they're hurting inside. And and an example that pops in my mind, and I know not everybody can relate to this, but this came to my mind when you're talking about that is when my brother died a few years ago. I don't even know how long it's been four or five years, but I remember having to go like to school pickup where Mm -hmm. we had to walk up and sign them out, walking up and like being so fragile because I was like still in shock. And this is making me emotional, but like walking up and like talking to one of the moms and her being like, Oh, how's your day? Whatever. And I just totally lied because I didn't know, like, how do you say that? Sure. Oh, my brother just died yesterday mm-hmm. <laughs> or whatever it was. And I feel like that's kind of how what you were saying like you don't know what's going on inside mm-hmm. like nobody there knew i felt like i was walking up and i had like this big sign on my head that said like i'm dealing with a death mm-hmm. but then everybody's interactions are like how are you everything is normal everything yeah. as usual but for me i was dealing with such a huge thing inside but i didn't know how to deal with it and i didn't know like you how do you tell somebody that you know yeah. and so you just go on putting on a show and so I did. I just pretended like nothing had happened because I was also still in shock. So I feel like that's part of it because right. you're just like don't it's believe it really happened.
0: Such a deeply personal thing, right? Also. And like, how do you
1: but you also have to do your life. Like I had to go pick up my kids. Right. I didn't want to, but like mm. I'm, you know, you know what I mean. Like you just yeah, have to completely. do your life. And so that's what people do. I feel like. Mm-hmm. But like you said, nobody is knows what's going on. Like you don't know where that person is in their life. Yeah. And I don't know. I don't know. But that's what popped in my head. <laughs> so I'm just sharing, no. like, what that might feel like for somebody. So obviously, not everybody has, like, a death in their family or something where they could deal with something like that, but it could be anything. It could, it be, could be going through a divorce or a child with an illness, and you just don't talk about it with people because it's hard to. Or it could just be. And you're hiding it. Or or you having feel like a you're having really a really
0: terrible show. day. Like,
1: yeah, everything that could go wrong
0: yeah. has gone wrong. Right. And you're just like f this uh, you know or it could be anything
1: yeah it could be anything so so anyways yeah. we're like 20 minutes
0: into the podcast I'm we supposed should probably to be two minutes about in. the, the so, main subject part two <laughs> on that note we're going to move into your side of the story yeah. or not even your side that's i don't want to say your side of the story your my experience um, your experience yeah and your story with how you've dealt with depression over the years?
1: Yeah. So I, I have very opinionated on this subject. (laughs) Um, So let me just start with like what I went through. So I dealt with depression a long time ago, I would say now, and I feel like I have a pretty good handle on what it is for me and it could be different for everybody and it could be caused by different things. But my opinion is that it is, it's, it's, often associated with nutrient deficiencies. And it can also be associated with traumatic events or, you know, difficult times and things like that. But I always think it's coupled with a nutrient deficiency. That's just my opinion. It could also just be life has thrown you a bunch of shit, you know, mm-hmm. and, and hard times. And that can, I think, start things that spiral. But anyways, I, my mom was depressed and my dad's mom had depression and you know, they say it's genetic or whatever. And I, as a teenager was dating an older guy and he took me to Planned Parenthood to get birth control. And I went on birth control. And this is all just background information because I didn't put this together until I was an adult. And I read Mm -hmm. an article about how birth control is associated with depression and it causes depression in a lot of people. Mm -hmm. And I was like, oh my God, that's when my depression started when I got on birth control. I was also in like a semi emotionally abusive. I wouldn't say semi. I guess I don't know why I'm trying to sugarcoat it. It was an emotionally abusive relationship. And Coupled with the birth control, which causes nutrient loss. Mm-hmm. So it like depletes B vitamins, which are super important for your mental health, and maybe some genetic stuff. I think there's stuff in my genetics that I don't process certain vitamins very well, I don't detox very well, things like that. And so that triggered, I think, my situation. Again, my opinion is that being in a bad relationship helped facilitate this, but maybe it wouldn't have. I also drank in high school Mm -hmm. and uh, alcohol is a depressant. Alcohol also depletes nutrients. So I started getting depressed in high school and then I went on prescriptions, which I think make things worse too. In some cases, I think prescriptions are fine. I'm not dogging prescriptions, I think they can help people get on. I don't believe people should be on them their whole lives unless they have like something majorly wrong that necessitates that. It's
0: a life or death sort of. or
1: you Yes, have, yeah. yes. And I think most, like I said, my opinion is that it it stems from nutrient deficiency. So if you correct those, you don't need to be on the medications. But if you're going through like a divorce or a death or something really difficult and you need those prescriptions to kind of like get you through that time, which is kind of what I went through, I'll explain, uh, that can be helpful. Sure. But I don't think you need to be on it your whole life. And I'll I'll explain why I think people relapse and have to continue taking them later. But anyway, so that, I feel like it was kind of like a perfect storm in my case. And so I was going to therapy. I was talking about... Like my abusive relationship and my fighting with my parents. I was an awful teenager. So that probably didn't make things better. Um, so I like struggled with the depression. And what I would describe it as a teenager is that it made me extremely moody. Mm-hmm. It made me sad for no reason. And this was the first time I experienced it. But then you go to the doctor and the doctor's like, Well
0: This is when you're experiencing depression for the first time. Yes, not for the first time. being on anything for it outside of birth control at this point.
1: No. Well, I mean, I I can't tell you the timeline exactly of like when I tried antidepressants, but I did take antidepressants Okay, and I tried them for a little while and maybe they helped me. I don't, I don't even, to be honest, like as a teenager, I don't, I don't know because you do stupid things as a teenager, but I think they helped me, but not enough. So I stopped taking them and I was just like, whatever, you know, I don't need these. And, and, and I did. And then I was off of them and I was fine again. And then I got in another abusive relationship that ended up having situations that occurred that ended up giving me v- extreme trauma that I went through and without getting too much into that I ended up getting depressed again and later on found out that through all the things that I experienced and having that depression I ended up having um PTSD so I suffer from PTSD and I still do and it's it, I went through a lot of trauma and Anyways, I ended up going through a period where I had moved to a new state to start college. I had, you know, left my family and friends. I was like, all of those things ended up being too much for me to handle. And I was depressed, probably not taking very good care of myself. And then I ended up moving back home and to get back on um, medication, I had to be in school, but I was like too depressed to do school. So then I ended up doing uh, culinary school because I thought it would be fun. And then I felt like something I could handle. So that's one thing. Another thing, like when you're depressed, you can't handle anything. Mm -hmm. You just feel like everything is overwhelming. Everything is just sadness and hopelessness and nothing makes you happy. And you're not motivated to do anything. I literally was not motivated to anything. And during this time I was sleeping a lot. Like I would get so many hours of sleeping because I was, every time I'd wake up, I was so depressed and sad and over my life. I didn't want to live it anymore. So Mm -hmm. I was like, I'm just going to go back to sleep. I'm just going to sleep more. And I just would sleep and sleep and sleep. And then, so then I moved home. I started culinary school. So then I got back on my parents' insurance. So then I went to the doctor. I was getting therapy before i left for college but then stopped obviously i moved there and i didn't get and get find anybody and then i moved back home and um didn't start therapy but i started medication cuz i was just like so overwhelmed with it and then i was going to school so i didn't really have a lot of time because culinary school is every day and i think it's like 6 or 8 hours i can't remember but either way i started this drug called zoloft and i was 19 at this point so i had been on and off struggling with depression on and off taking birth control and in and out of bad relationships Mm -hmm. which could be related to that as well but anyway so i started taking zoloft i went to my doctor and i and just by the way i want to preface this which i as depressed as i always as i had ever gotten which i had really really dark moments completely isolated myself from my friends lash out at my friends, which you do when you're depressed, you will isolate yourself. And you're not, a, you're not like a normal human being. Like I, at least this is my experience. I was not my normal self. I was super fragile, super stressed, super depressed, couldn't handle anything. Everything made me upset. Everything made me depressed. And I had nobody is what I felt like. And so, but Part of depression is you isolate yourself. Mm-hmm. So you need people to help you get out of the depression, I feel like, but then you isolate and you self isolate and you do things to make yourself more upset, I feel like, because you're just not in a normal brain space. Like you're not a normal human being. I, that's how I would describe depression. You're like not thinking normal. It is not normal. And when people are like, oh, snap out of it, do this, do that. It's like, you are not motivated to do anything. And it's not that you don't wanna help yourself. It's just that everything seems overwhelming and exhausting. Anything, like just going to school was so hard for me. And I made myself do it because I needed to be on insurance so I could get help. Mm-hmm. But it was it was so hard and miserable. And like, I was like you, I felt like I was dying on the inside and like just pretending to get through my day. But anyways, I lashed out at my friends pushed all of them away. Nobody was there for me. Then I had a huge fight with my mom and my dad. And so then they weren't there for me. And so I was just like alone dealing with this as a teenager with like probably so many hormones and so many issues. Anyways, I started the Zoloft. I felt worse. Oh yeah. That's what I was going to preface it with when I went off. So I had never felt suicidal ever. I thought people who are suicidal are selfish. I thought I believed in my spirituality that people who kill themselves go to purgatory or hell like mm-hmm. i believe that god that was the only thing that god would punish you for that people could murder each other and that 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 was not okay but god gave us free will but then to take your own life to me was like the ultimate sin, sin i guess mm-hmm. and that that was something god was like no you just you you cannot take your own life so that's what I believed I was never anybody who thought about suicide as dark as the moments had gotten for me and as much pain I was in that never crossed my my mind and I let me just tell you I was in so much pain so much emotional pain that it hurt physically like that whole like dying of a broken heart thing mm-hmm. was like literally what I felt and I was like I never knew what that meant until I went through all the stuff that I went through and I know you're hearing this for the first time too I hope you're not I hope people are not judging me
0: No, nobody's judging you.
1: I have never felt. And if you
0: are, turn this off. (laughs)
1: Fuck off, really. (laughs) (laughs) I, because what I went through, and I'm describing stuff, but I'm obviously not including everything. And so if people want to judge me, that's fine. But I, the pain, the amount of pain I was in emotionally had like a physical effect on my body. It, it did at times feel like I was dying and I was in so much pain and I wanted it to stop. But, That, but suicide never crossed my mind ever until I started taking Zoloft. And the only reason I'm sharing this is like Zoloft might work for some people. For me, it was the absolute wrong Mm -hmm. drug. And my opinion is that a lot of practitioners throw spaghetti at a wall and hope something sticks when any medication they're guessing based off of symptoms and whatever their drug rep is telling them. They don't know. They don't read the research studies typically. They can, but they don't. There's just too many drugs. And Zoloft was a brand new drug when I was 19. So this was in 2003. It had just come out and my opinion is that people push drugs that just come out because they get paid higher mm-hmm. higher kickbacks from drug companies because they're brand new. If it's been around and the patents run out, they don't make as much money so they don't promote those drugs. Just that's my opinion. So this doctor put me on Zoloft. I knew nothing about it. I was a teenager. I was a young adult. I was struggling. I took it. I felt worse. I made an appointment with him after like a month, I wanna say. And I went back and I said, I'm feeling suicidal. I don't feel good on this drug. And he said, well, you've only been on it for a few weeks or a month or something. And he's like, it takes time to build up in your body to feel better. And so he's like, I'm going
0: to increase your dose. So so you've got to feel worse before you can feel better.
1: He didn't say that, but he said it takes time to work. After you said. I'm feeling suicidal and mm-hmm. I've never felt suicidal before. I know. I have written a complaint about him. Um, not just involving that, but like things he said to the, the hospital doctors, like, mm-hmm he called me selfish and all these other horrible things. And I'm like, you're my psychologist. How yeah. am I coming to you for help? And I'm selfish. Am I not supposed to talk about my problems? Like you're supposed to help me. Just, he's insane. And I think he's an evil human being for some of the things that he did. But anyways, I never sent the complaint and I wish I did to the board, to the medical board, because he should lose his license. He was a horrible human being. But anyways, he increased my dose, which I just not being a doctor, but out of common sense, I would say this might not be a good fit for you. Let's try something else. Brand new drug. He doesn't know maybe necessarily that suicide, well, he didn't maybe at the time know that suicide was an effect of Zoloft. They later put a black box label Mm -hmm. on Zoloft after I tried to kill myself on Zoloft, stating that it can cause suicidal ideation and suicide in people who are young adults or teens, whatever fit me exactly. And um, at the time I should have maybe taken legal action. I never ended up doing it. But anyways, he increased my dose. My suicide ideation got worse. And at this point I'm in so much pain. I have no friends. My mom, because I pushed them all away, my mom and I are fighting all the time. We get in a huge fight one night and I have nobody. God, this is going to make me cry. And this is traumatic for me. This experience was traumatic for me and sharing this. I hope it helps somebody. That's the only reason I'm doing it. Um, But my mom and I got in a huge fight and she left and um, I was alone. And I was thinking about suicide for the past month or two at this point. And I had thought about all the ways I could kill myself, but you know, I had heard stories of people shooting themselves and surviving like a shotgun or something. They like blew off half their heads. I'm like, I don't, I don't think I can do that. My dad had a gun. I could have done that, but I was just like, I also just didn't think I could pull the trigger. So as much as I wanted to die, I didn't want to do the act, but I was also in so much pain that... I wanted it to end. I just wanted the pain to go away. Mm -hmm. And, And so that's what I hope that people take away from me talking about this is that, you know, I used to be one of those people that was like, oh, how could you kill yourself? That's so selfish. When you are depressed and suicidal, you are not thinking normal. First of all, you're not thinking about anybody else because you're in so much pain. And I was also on a drug that I feel like caused my suicidal ideation. So my brain chemistry was off because of a prescription drug, in my opinion. Somebody else might not have the same experience, but that was my situation. And I know that now, but at the time you're not thinking and, and you're also just so consumed by your pain and your depression that that's all you can think about is how miserable you are and hopeless. And you don't see how things can get better because you're not thinking normal and, So at that point, I was just like, I'm done. My mom left. Um, I was like, I have nobody. And I I just felt so alone. And I was like, I lost everybody I cared about. I'm alone. I'm miserable. Like, why am I even here? So um, I just wanted the pain to stop. I remember thinking like, I just want the pain to stop. And I kept praying to God, please kill me now. Please just kill me now. I don't want to do this. Have an airplane follow this guy and land on my house. Like, please just take my life. And I was just praying and praying then it would just stop and nothing happened. So then I got up and I said, you know what? I'm just done. And I had thought a lot about how I would kill myself. My mom's cousin had killed himself with carbon dioxide poisoning. Um, Besides Zoloft, I was taking some other drug that you're not supposed to drink alcohol on because it makes you black out Mm -hmm. or pass out or whatever. And I was not drinking at the time at all. And I knew though that if I had taken drink and alcohol, I would pass out. So my plan was to get in the car, to drink, chug alcohol, and black out so that when the carbon monoxide would start to suffocate me, I wouldn't feel it and back out. I thought I had a foolproof plan. This was it. I'm done. I wrote suicide notes on a notebook. I listened to sad music in my car and I just waited for it to happen. And what happened after that, I have like tiny memories of like coming in and out of what happened. And I don't know if that's because trauma, cause sometimes your brain will not remember stuff because of the trauma that you experienced. But also I don't know if it's cause of the drugs I was on or the alcohol or what it was. But my, I remember somebody knocking really loud and my dad, what ended up happening is my dad came home early. He had like another hour of work and he usually would work at a certain time and then he ended up coming home early. He woke me up and then I somehow in an unconscious state or do not remember or recall anything that I did, backed out and drove away and ended up driving into a house. And then I went to a hospital and I woke up at like three o'clock in the morning with like tubes and stuff. And um, nobody was in the hospital room because they couldn't get a hold of my mom. And it was in the middle of the night. I don't know if my dad was sleeping or where he was. And I didn't know what happened. Like I just woke up in a hospital room. I went from like listening to that music to waking up in a hospital room. Anyways, long story short, I. The second I woke up in the hospital room, I was happy I was alive. And I was like, thank God I didn't. And I felt so much better. And I remember a doctor coming into the room, talking to me and asking me questions to see if I was still suicidal. And he was like, um, he, he goes, well, you hit rock bottom and you only have to go up from here. And I held on to that for so long. I can't even tell you how much that meant to me because I was like, you're right. This is the lowest it gets. And I'm going to fix my life. And I ended up doing that. I ended up going back to school, to college. And everybody said, once you drop out, you'll never go back. I went back to school. I got straight A's. I graduated laude, and I was going to prove to the world that I'm going to take care of myself and that I'm not this person that went through these horrible things. And it's been a really rough journey because I suffer a lot from the trauma of certain things that I went through during that time and feeling like I'm a bad person and that I went through that thing. It's like a secret that I have that nobody knows. And a lot of people I know, if they listen to this, they'll probably be surprised or heard stories about it or whatever. And I don't care because it's, it's something that i that i went through and it still affects me to this day and um i'm not ashamed of what i went through cuz i was young and in pain and that, again i i don't blame the zoloft for everything but i it did definitely change me like it changed me and when i you know when i when the black box warning came out after my suicide attempt and and all of those things i was like oh my god it makes so much sense but So then long story short, I went on medication, I was court ordered to go on medication and I was on probation and I, anyways, I went to a doctor who was a biological psychiatrist and he, so he's like basically a doctor that understands how the brain works, but he also does psychiatric medication. And so he put me on like a mood stabilizer and I wasn't getting sleep because my stress levels were so high after going through all of this stuff. And so I had something for sleep and I had something for mood and like a like a antidepressant. And I stayed on those drugs because I was required to. And then when I decided I wanted to get pregnant, I was like, I want to get off these. I don't need to be on these forever. I'm not experiencing the trauma. I'm not experiencing anything any stressful anymore. Mm-hmm. I feel like it can handle my life now. So I started on like a research journey of like, why is this, why do I have this? And what are the answers out there? And that led me to this book called uh, What Your Doctor May Not Tell You About Depression. And supposedly this do- this guy who wrote this book is in jail. Big Pharma doesn't want people to know these things. He's in jail probably so that he can't write more books. I don't know. But he talks about, so I read this whole book book. And basically it talked about certain nutrients that the brain needs. And when the brain doesn't get those nutrients, you can end up with things like depression, you know, and he recommends like working with a doctor and getting testing and like finding out what your nutrient deficiencies are. And I don't know if this was like divine guidance or what I feel like it was that led me to this book, but also the omega-3 stood out to me. And in my mind, I'm like, I'm just going to try this. And another thing that he said... I'll talk about the omega-3s in a second. But the another thing that he said was, your doctors, when they wean you off your prescriptions, do it quickly. Like two weeks, you're done. I was on these medications for six years. Mm-hmm. You cannot just in two weeks take a body off of those drugs when they've been used to it. And what he said happens is people will relapse and then they need to go back on the drugs. So I went to my doctor and I said, I'm thinking about getting off these drugs. And they that's exactly what they said. Okay, two weeks, you take this and I'll give you a lower dose of this and, you take, and, you're, and then you're done. And he's like, but I don't think you should. You have a history of depression. You have genetics, you know, parents with depression or whatever. And I told him I wanted to get pregnant and I wanted to get off these drugs. And he's like, because of your history of depression, you have a much higher rate of postpartum depression. So you're going to probably have to go back on it after that. And he said, just like the chances of you being on these drugs the rest of your life is very high. So he said, but then he tried to talk me out of it because he said, once you've been on a certain amount of medication and you go off of it and you relapse, he goes, those, that dose don't no longer works. I don't even know if this is true or not, but he said that dose will no longer work. So then you're going to have to take even higher dose of those medications to be stable again. So he definitely like put it in me to scare me. And then I went to my like Other doctor, I think my gynecologist or whatever, and told her about it. She's like, No, you shouldn't do it. You're going to relapse. Just stay on it. You know, you don't want to relapse. And I was like, Nope, I'm going to try this. I'm going to do this. I believe in it. I, for some reason, just feel like this is the right thing for me. So I ended up, and I think I wrote it down. I would love to go find like the journal that I wrote in. And I weaned off of my drugs in nine months. Nine months, I think it took. And I did it extremely slow. And I was, like I said, I was on three different medications. Mm -hmm. I did one at a time, which he also recommended because the doctors tell you two weeks, all these medications, you're done. Like you just get off all of them. And I don't know if pharma does that on purpose to set people up. Like, I don't know if they really know or if they've studied it, like what the right way to wean somebody off a medication is. But I didn't listen to anything my doctor said. They gave me the lower doses or whatever. I took those. And then I just would like go super extremely slow. And then I even got to a point where I would do like every other day, Mm -hmm. a low dose, just extremely slow. So like, I didn't want my body to realize anything was happening over such a long period of time and it worked. I didn't relapse. And at the same time, I started taking omega-3 fish oil. And so what I want to say about omega-3s, and it might not be omega-3, it might be B6, it might be zinc, it might be folate for you. It might be one of the other ones that he mentions in his book. And I don't remember all of them. That's the one that I concentrated on. And I don't know if that's like an instinct or what, but I did. And one of the things he said in the book is like, you got to really make sure you're getting a quality fish oil because there's fish oils that they heat so high, it destroys all of the good qualities of the fish oil because it's ruined after you heat it that high. Or, you know, there's companies that will you know, just not choose quality fish or things like that. So then you're getting like, you know, maybe the toxins from the fish, like if they're high in mercury and then you're just concentrating that oil and taking that cap, that might not be good for you. So I did research and try to find a really good clean source of water where these fish were being taken and then also making sure that they weren't heating them really high so that the benefits of the oil was not being destroyed. So anyways, I started taking high doses. And that's the other thing he said in the book is, doctors are always like the RDA. The RDAs are always low usually for nutrients. And these days, this wasn't in the book, but I've learned this now as a health coach. Our soils are so depleted of so many nutrients, the plants aren't uptaking them. So, even though if you're eating, you're a vegetarian and you're eating lots of fruits and vegetables, you still might not be getting those nutrients because it's not in the soil anymore. Mm-hmm. Or the plants, it's not that it's not in the soil, it's that the bacteria in the soil isn't allowing the plants to absorb it. Or it could just be from farming practices. They're not rotating crops. And then the, the soil is literally depleted. So there's all of those things that you have to think about. What was I saying? No, I don't remember. <laughs> but anyways, so I ended up taking the omega-3s and I can't, I don't remember, maybe I wrote this down in the journal. I don't remember if I started taking them while I was weaning off. I'm assuming I did. Oh, that's what I was saying. The high dose. Or if I took them after I got off the medication, I'm not hundred percent sure, but I started taking omega-3s and then high doses. So I was taking, I want to say three to five grams every single day. I end up getting pregnant. I double my dose. I think I was taking maybe eight grams maximum, I want to say, a day. Grams. I'm not talking like milligrams. I'm talking grams a day of fish oil while I was pregnant. Never once had postpartum depression. Have not been depressed like clinically depressed. I have my bad days. Everybody does. And I might be a little depressed right now because I'm going through a really stressful situation, but I would not describe it as clinical depression Mm -hmm. of like hopelessness, not wanting to get out of bed, hating everything, nothing makes me feel good, not being motivated. I don't have that. And I have not experienced it since then. So I just want all those doctors out there that said that I couldn't do it to just know that because I'm really proud of that. And I think it's sad that doctors don't are not aware that it could be a nutrient deficiency. They're not taught that in medical school. They don't barely any learn anything about nutrition and they're certainly not learning about correcting things with supplements that pharma's not making money off of because pharma controls the education really. So, I'm not saying this would work for everybody and this is just my story and obviously I'm not a doctor and I'm not treating or diagnosing or doing any of that stuff with anybody, but that is what worked for me. And I have shared with other people that book. I have shared with other people the omega-3s. I try to help people, but some people just want a quick fix. Mm-hmm. They'd want to just take a, a drug. But I just don't think long-term that that's going to solve anything. And I think birth control does a disservice to people. And nobody talks about the informed consent of what birth control birth control can do in teenage girls. And I thank God I don't have a daughter and I don't have to worry about that. But if you do have a daughter, it might be something that you consider and look for and understand before you do put them on birth control. Because I do think it has a larger effect on the body than people realize. It's not just like, oh, I'm not getting pregnant, you know, Yeah. which is also something that can ruin somebody's life if they're not ready for that. And I don't want to say that a baby could ruin somebody's life, but you know what I mean? Like it's a big altering decision, to have a child and anyways I digress
0: but (laughs) that's another topic for another day I mean
1: that's a lot that I just unloaded okay so we're at 15 minutes so so thank you first
0: of all for sharing your story that was yeah amazing and I know that was really hard I'm just hoping
1: it helps somebody because honestly that is like deep deep stuff Mm. this is like secret stuff you know like I don't walk around telling people
0: um and about we're all that. friends here and we are in a no judgment zone and we're in a, coming from a place of love and acceptance. And Yeah, and I just hope it helps somebody, honestly. I think it will. It helps me right now listening to your story okay. because everything that you described are things that I've gone through and felt recently. I think that when you were talking about Praying to God, like mm. dropping a house on you, yeah, or just take me yeah. out easily, right? Like Eric yeah. dropping a plane on your house, or i f- I thought those same things. I prayed to God those same things. I think God saved you that day. He saved you by sending your dad home early. I totally that was believe a gift that. From God that He's loud in your face saying it's not time for sure. And then you woke up with this like gratitude. Oh my God!
1: Right away. Right? Yeah, it's and crazy because. I've heard of, you know how like people try to kill themselves jumping over the um, San Francisco bridge. What is it called? The Golden Gate Bridge. Like like jump off of it? Yeah. 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 So there's this guy that does these motivational speaking Mm -hmm. things that um, he says he, he survived. I guess sometimes people survive, which I think is insane. Like you said, I do believe in God and I do think that God, for whatever reason, saved me that day. And this guy too, as well. And he goes around telling people the second that he lived after he hit the water, even though he was like in pain or something, he was happy to be alive. Mm He, everything that was painful went away the second he was like given a second chance, I guess. So it's like a common thing. It's not like just me that felt that way. I think some people who survive suicide, they do, they feel grateful to be alive. But when you're in that moment of so much pain, it's just different. And I don't know like why, you know, why couldn't I feel that gratitude to be alive? It was like, I don't know. So I just, it's the sad part is not everybody gets that chance. Some no. people don't come back. So, but you did
0: and now you're using it for good.
1: I hope so. To help. I feel like I'm ready 20 years later.
0: And sometimes that's,
1: <laughs> it takes time, It right? totally takes time. And that is a wound that is still there. You
0: you woke up that day having gratitude and feeling Happy to be alive, but you still had a lot of work to do, and for so sure. it might have taken twenty years.
1: It did. Yeah, it's
0: gonna take twenty more years to keep at it, right, and to yeah. stay the path that you're. But if we go back to what Oprah said, and you close your eyes for a second and you think about walking up this massive mountain, yeah, now it's figuratively right because right. you're not going on a hike, right? <laughs> but this hike that you've taken over the last twenty years, yeah. right? Like, if you just take a minute and you turn around to see how far you've come over the last twenty years, yeah. I mean, you can feel really proud of
1: for sure, who you
0: are, who you've become, what you've overcome and all the wonderful things that are going to happen next.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Like I'm super blessed and I don't, I think it is important to look back and say like, look how far Mm -hmm. I've come. I don't think people do that enough, right? but I've been through a lot of stuff. Like that's not the only hard thing I've gone through in my life. And I'm, and I'm very grateful for, you know, a lot of people say it and it sounds so cliche, like the things that don't kill you make you stronger. It's made me stronger for sure. Yeah. Part of me wishes I didn't ever have to go through that. I mean, I think that's Sure, normal. nobody wants to. But, because it's still painful. <laughs> it's still something that I struggle with. It did take a really long time to get over. Uh, and I don't think I'm over it necessarily, but I can talk about it now and not feel... Not ashamed. Like, I'm not ashamed. I didn't do anything wrong. Sure, in, and yeah. in, in anybody's eyes, I think I was trying to do everything right. I mean, I was in a really bad place and I was doing everything I could to get help and I got the wrong help. Right. You know, and it's not my fault that that happened. But I think part of, like, I blame myself maybe for it. I don't know. I feel bad about it and I don't know why. Hmm. Because I guess because it's such a taboo thing. Like, why would you do that? Or why would you try to kill yourself or, you know, like how crazy do you have to be to do something like that? And obviously experiencing it. I don't look at it like that, but I'm sure there's people out there that do. And maybe that's where it comes from where maybe
0: I used to look at people yeah, like that. I did too. I All of those it. things that you said about suicide, I thought the same thing yeah. until I didn't. And then one day I kind of understood it. Yeah. But I think a lot of people, unless they walk that path, won't understand right. it and they'll exactly. think the same way that you and I did.
1: Exactly. So I think that's where it comes from, being ashamed or embarrassed or like I did something wrong when they didn't do anything wrong.
0: Well, I don't ever want you to feel like that. I hope you can find a way to not feel like that because it's just a part of your journey. It's not who you are. Right. It doesn't define you. It's just. It doesn't. But man, it ruined my of life your story for a long time. And you've come out on the other side. Yeah. Stronger and better. And think of all the things that you've learned from this experience that have been such a blessing to you. And so many people, just for me, you've been such a blessing to me. I have learned from you over the last 12 years that you shouldn't take no for an answer. You shouldn't take this as the final just because one person who's considered the expert, right, tells you that you have to do this. Take this medication. It's going to make everything go away. If every fiber of your being is telling you not to do that, then don't accept that. Right. Research. Go on to YouTube University or Google or all of these places that have a ton of information from lots of different experts. Right. That can say or help you ask those questions. Like, for example, birth control. OK, seems like a great idea. Right. Yeah. What is it going to do? It's going to help prevent you having babies because you're not ready to have babies. Right. But we don't talk enough about what like we put a the fix on one thing, thing, but. 15 other things are going to happen. Right. Right. So right. you have like a leak in your irrigation, right? You you plug up one hole and six Shhh. other holes yeah. come out, right? If you don't fix the whole thing, you have to look at it as a whole. Right. And not just one-offs. Right. 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 So
1: I just think that we're so quick to jump to drugs in mm-hmm. this country and they're not the solution. They're more of a band-aid. Right. And they can cause more problems, and not just birth control. I mean, that's true for a lot of different medications. Well, obviously, look at Zola.
0: Look at all the commercials that we see. Right, they spend more time people, talking about the side effects. Right, on so many of these commercials. Right, than they do on. Well, yeah, it's like, do you want to cure your Crohn's,
1: but you want to maybe die? Like, there's like death is listed, and all these, twi- or you develop diabetes, or like you develop all these other health Answer issues, just or to solve suicide, one. or yeah. yeah, like all these.
0: 15 other things that might be worse right and then, people are like well and the doctor i'm sure is like oh those are rare side effects it's not gonna happen to you like it's, and they it's, are and that's true and and sometimes medication is the right answer
1: i think that it has its place for sure percent. i just don't think it should be like the first go-to mm-hmm. and i think that other things need to be looked at first and and right. like i said earlier about medication. Some people just need like a temporary get me through this divorce or get me mm-hmm. through this grieving process or whatever it is and and it's really beneficial for them or a stressful job even like anything it could be anything for anybody. I'm not saying it has to be something extreme. It could be something maybe not ex- as extreme but is hard for that person. And I think medicine has its place in emergencies for sure. sure. But I don't think like long I don't think people should be on certain things their entire lives. You know, Mm -hmm. like even if it's because it's because like, again, it's a band aid. like you're not fall, you're not correcting that imbalance. You're not correcting whatever caused your high blood pressure. You're just lowering the blood pressure, Mm -hmm. but then that thing is still there. So when you go off the medication, it's still there or it gets worse, but that's because you're just suppressing it. You're not fixing it. And that's why I went into like health coaching and things like that, because when I realized, My whole life, I had trusted doctors and my whole life, I had believed in the system and I had taken the drugs and it ruined my life, like literally ruined my life. I lost everything and everyone that was important to me. Oh my God, this is going to make me cry. I lost everything. Like I was in the darkest place. Like that doctor said, I had hit rock bottom, like literally rock bottom. I had nothing going for me. I had nobody there for me and I had to pick up up the pieces and... Keep going. And I had to hit rock bottom to feel that gratitude on the other side of not dying, Mm -hmm. you know? So I just think, you know, we all have our stuff and we all have to go through this stuff. But I'm just saying it's why I went through this whole journey. There's answers out there. If you are being told something like you said and Mm -hmm. it doesn't feel right, look for answers. And I do want to just say that. 20 years ago, you could Google this stuff, but unfortunately these days a lot of things are censored. So you might not find the answers that you're looking for and you have to dig deeper, but there are solutions out there that don't involve pharma, that don't involve quick fixes, that actually do correct the
0: imbalances. Mm -hmm. I think a lot of people are um, becoming more aware of things that are available holistically. Yeah, You know, the body's a beautiful miracle, right? And it's so good at healing itself. Yeah. But like you said, we have depleted our nutrients so much, if we're yeah. not getting what we need to survive, then that's a problem. And I think
1: it's a huge problem. I think that's why there's so such a high rate of depression. Mm-hmm. Our food systems have failed us for sure. And not just the junk food and the fast food and all of that, but like even the farming In practices. Our
0: food, I know. But is it you that was just telling me that you could go the majority of things that are in our food are outlawed everywhere else in the world. Oh, that yeah. That was, I was not me,
1: but that is true. Europe outlaws everything. It takes us, the United States, like 15 to 20 years to outlaw something they outlaw in Europe. for yeah. like chemicals, even chemicals and like products, beauty mm-hmm. products. Right. They'll outlaw like as soon as there's a problem in the United States, it's like 15 years later. It's insane. Like the trans fat, like that was one of the first things that I learned about in health before any of the depression stuff was the trans fats. I remember them knowing they were bad Mm -hmm. in the nineties when they first started using them, they right away had health consequences from them. And I think it took 15 years before they they even had to, I think it was like eight years or 10 years in where they had to label it. Mm -hmm. Then they had to tell you it was in the product, but they still didn't take it out.
0: Like well then they just, then they started using it as like a marketing campaign, right? Yeah. Zero, zero trans fat. But yeah.
1: <laughs> did you know grams is just a measurement, zero grams per serving. You could have a gram in there if you ate the whole bag or whatever. Sure. They just did that to get away from labeling it because there could be milligrams in it, but they don't have to label it because they could say there's zero grams. Right. There's less than that. But, they're in it, but yeah. it's, it looks like it's been taken out, but it's not like it's just they do all kinds of stuff like that. And it's just sad, really, honestly, because so many people suffer because of it that don't need to and have no idea that there are solutions out there that don't involve these things. Yeah. But maybe now they'll know and maybe yeah. it will help somebody.
0: Yeah.
1: Because I know it worked for me and, and it doesn't mean it would work for everybody. And it doesn't mean that there's not different things. Like I said, the omega-3s worked for me, but they might not work for somebody who right, has completely. like a B6 deficiency. And it probably is smartest to work with a doctor. I've just always been the type of person that wants to do things on my own. And and there's definitely benefits to working with doctors. I still do work with doctors when mm-hmm. I feel like I don't have the answers. But for most people, it probably is a good idea to like get your nu- your nutrient levels tested. Not everything is easy to test, but working with a doctor
0: who's versed in that type of thing could be really helpful. Also, remember to be your own advocate. It's okay to ask a doctor questions. For sure. It's okay to say, if I don't want to take this medication, what are some healthier, holistic, natural alternatives that I could do that maybe I could start with? Right. And if that's not helping, then I try this. Right. Right. Right? And I think like, we, we should be able to ask those questions without feeling ashamed right. or, or like you're like, questioning them sometimes. And the I was one of these people and I have friends that are doctors that mm-hmm. I adore and I, they are some of the smartest people I know. And I go to them for a lot of things, but I don't it there with them. Do you know what I mean? Like I, I take what they say. I consider it. Sometimes I do what they say. And sometimes I find something that works a little bit better for me and they don't get mad at me about that. They, they know what they know and Ooh, share their knowledge body, right, life. completely. And then I'll share something like, oh, I just tried X and I'll tell them, yeah. you know, or even my own doctor that I'm seeing for whatever. Like sometimes they might not agree with me because I will do some in their words voodoo things. Yeah. But sometimes those voodoo things that I've done haven't worked and sometimes they have. Yeah. So you have to take as as for yourself you have to take your power back
1: yeah and for sure
0: use your doctor as a partner Mm -hmm. in your health journey right and know that if it's not right for you that's okay yeah that's not the you know end-all be-all of solutions right and look into it research find something
1: if you don't that will work if you're not getting the answers you like or they refuse to have a conversation about it that's probably a good sign to find another doctor Mm -hmm. Because if they're not willing to even entertain anything else, then then yeah. that's not what you're looking for. I know we did mention this on your um, episode, you know, if you go to a doctor and you're telling them you're depressed and they're not asking about your sleep or your nutrition mm-hmm. or your exercise, then that's probably a sign that they're going to put a Band-Aid on it. Mm-hmm. But that's something you should always look at. And I know sleep for me has been a huge, so that biological doctor that I was telling you about, Mm -hmm. and I think I might've said this on the other episode, he would talk a lot about sleep. And I wasn't getting good sleep because even though I was sleeping a lot when I was depressed, I was really high stress and it wasn't good quality sleep. And I wasn't really sleeping for sleep. I was sleeping to not like live, you know, like not go live my life. And it was like more just like being depressed in bed. But then I realized how important sleep was and when I did get good sleep, I felt better. Right. So that is important. And exercise is important. Exercise.
0: Yeah. That's been it's huge. Really huge for me.
1: When I have stress and I exercise, I feel so much better.
0: And I think just going back to the doctor part quickly, like even myself would have been guilty of this when doctors ask questions like that. Mm-hmm. Then like, are you getting enough sleep? What's your diet like? What's this like? The old me would have thought that was like a blow off. Like you just don't want to help oh, really? me. Yeah. So I wonder if there's other people out there that would think, well, this doctor yeah. doesn't want to help me. They just care about how much sleep I'm getting. Actually, that doctor right. really does care about you. If they're asking right. what your lifestyle is like, what kind of sleep you're getting, what are you eating? Are you exercising? Are you getting enough vitamin D? Are you getting all of these other nutrients that you need before? That's actually gold, right? right. Then you know you found a good one right? who's invested in your health and wanting to get a. Whole picture of what's going on, yeah. Rather than writing you a prescription for something that may or may not and some work, some
1: people just want a prescription, and, and that's fine too. That's okay. They, you do yeah. you. I'm fine with that. It's just know that there's other options, right? Because I think some people don't, and then their doctors might not give them other options. This is the drug that I have for you. That's it. You know, right. and if it doesn't work, it doesn't work, or we'll try another drug. And it's like if that's mm-hmm. the road you want to take, that's totally fine. I have no judgment on that. For me, it wasn't right. Right. And when I, when I knew that was when I started saying, okay, these drugs have this side effect. And I remember talking and it was around getting pregnant. I remember talking to my doctor and being like, well, this is a class C or whatever. And or they don't know what this would do if your baby but they all said stay on the me- the depression antidepressant medication during your pregnancy because it's worse to have a depressed mom while you're pregnant because then you're going to be depressed. They know there's research that if you're a depressed mom and a happy mom like the baby doesn't develop the same like mm-hmm. you're not smiling at your baby or whatever. Yeah. And it, so it has an effect and, and yeah, you shouldn't be depressed, but I don't, but that was not a good enough answer for me. Right. And I was like, no, I don't want to stay on these medications and just see if it has an a- effect on my child or not in their development, just because they haven't studied it in pregnancy doesn't mean it's safe, but they'll say...
0: Oh, you know, well, that's like a trigger for me. <laughs> is
1: it? Yeah. I mean, that's the thing. Like I wasn't willing to take that risk. And I know some mm-hmm. people like my doctor gave me an example why I have a bipolar patient and like she tried going off her medication when she was pregnant, she was really crazy. And she went back in on it while she was pregnant and things like that. And, and the drugs that she was on, they knew could cause problems in the baby, but they thought it was more important to not have a depressed pregnancy and mom for the infant. And so it's it's obviously weighing those pros and cons and what matters to you. And if you feel crazy, not on it, then that's okay. I'm not judging anybody who has to stay on them. I'm just saying for me, it
0: wasn't right. Right. Because some people, the reality is it works great for some people. Yeah. And, and they're that's fine. It, it has fixed you know, whatever right. it is that they needed they fixed. They live on and it they, fine, yes. They can function and they don't have any of the side effects and that's right. awesome. But there are people because like you they and really like me. who have
1: something else wrong that needs to be addressed Right, that we don't know how to address yet or sure. something, maybe. I don't know. But for me, it clearly maybe was those nutrient deficiencies mm-hmm. because it seems to have completely gone away and I don't feel like I have depression. I would never identify as struggling with depression anymore because I haven't had it in such a long time. Mm-hmm. And I feel like if I pass not getting postpartum depression, I'm good, you know? Right. And I'm not saying I can't ever go back to that place, but I feel like I have the tools right. and the knowledge to never get to that place again. Yeah. And I and I won't ever let and that happen.
0: you took a and stand a for teenager. yourself to say, I am not going to start with medication. I'm going to start by exploring my health and wellness and what I'm putting into my body to see what it might be missing. Yeah. And then I was willing to
1: try that before before going
0: back to a medication that may or may not help. Right. Or put you right back to where you were 20 years ago, which is not a place you ever want to go back to.
1: can anybody blame me for like being so against that drug that like literally ruined my life? I just, I mean, how could you not have some animosity towards prescription drugs when it literally ruined my (laughs) life? Like literally, and I'm not saying it cause my depression, but it definitely made it, took it to a place that it maybe yeah. never had to go.
0: I don't blame you. I don't think anybody would blame you because it just, yeah. But anyways,
1: so, I mean, I hope just to wrap this up because this is something that I'm probably going to record and then regret recording and <laughs> not want to share
0: You're not going to reco- regret it. I didn't regret it. And,
1: but you've had mixed feelings. I
0: had mixed feelings and you will too. And And I'm totally
1: putting myself out
0: there. We're both doing that. And it might be hard to sleep when it goes live.
1: Yeah.
0: And then it's going to go live and somebody is going to say, thank you so much for sharing that. Because honestly, I know someone who went through this or I went through it myself or my partner is going through it or my kid or whoever. Right. Whether And we said this last week, whether it's affecting you, the listener or someone you know, we all know somebody that is going through it. or has gone through it. Right. So it's all about perspective, right? Yeah. And hearing the other side of the story. And today we got to hear your story. Yeah,
1: I mean, there's There's, a million stories, right? right? Yeah, It's not my one journey and this is how it is and everybody Mm -hmm. is the exact same. I'm just expressing and telling my journey and my situation because mine's totally different than yours.
0: Right, completely.
1: So hopefully that helps somebody. And I think, I guess, Just to end this, I would like to say, if you are feeling suicidal, don't wait to get help. Don't be ashamed to tell somebody. Like I never told anybody I was thinking about killing myself or I was planning it out in my head. Like all the different ways I could do it Mm -hmm. and which way would work the best and which way is foolproof. Because I thought I had a foolproof plan. Mm -hmm. Like I literally thought I was, that was it. You can't
0: fool God, honey.
1: Well, apparently not i definitely didn't think my dad would come home and i just i just thought i was for sure in the bag i was done but I, my point is that like i didn't tell anybody besides the doctor that i was having suicidal i don't even think i told my mom yeah which is kind of sad but i just and some people you might tell and they might not know how to help you they're well, like my husband right yeah right he because, had no it's idea. Such a, because if you haven't experienced it you're like whoa what is? You're this? fine. Snap out of it. Why? What? What does this mean? Like you don't even know. Totally. You have no idea what it means, really. So if you're that person, reach out to a professional and say, mm-hmm. "How do I help this person?" Or if you're the person that is experiencing it, there is a suicide hotline. I don't know how helpful that is, but I know that that's what all professionals recommend. You know, calling somebody, drive yourself to a hospital. Mm-hmm call your therapist they'll refer you to the emergency services probably but just or if you have somebody you can trust and you're not like me and you didn't push everybody away because i called friends i think that day crying and apologizing to them i don't know if i told them i was killing myself but i was just like i'm just so sorry and i wrote suicide notes i like literally said goodbye to everybody yeah i was done but um you know and it, it's something that people might look at as like, oh my God, they're crazy. You are not in a normal no. state, but if you know somebody is not in a normal state, then you definitely have to get them help mm-hmm. because it could end up, they could end up not being here and then you're going to regret it for forever. And I think there are some people that threaten suicide, I guess you want to say, that still need help because that's not a normal thing to do. But- there are other people who might not ever talk about it or um, might reach out to somebody and then that person doesn't know how to handle it. And then that makes them feel even worse about it. So you have to be very sensitive about the situation. And I think, especially when it's involving anybody young, mm-hmm. like who doesn't have life experience, you should always take it seriously. I mean, yeah. actually you should just take it seriously with everybody. I guess I'm just kind of thinking of some people who say quick to say that, but. But let me just say this, because I did do child fatalities for 11 years and I was on the suicide team and with teenagers, they cannot see past tomorrow. Mm-hmm. So if they're going through a breakup or they're going through something difficult and they say they want to kill themselves, you have to take it seriously every time. Because I read police reports and I they did interviews with parents and they were like, well, they said this, but we didn't really think they were serious or they'll leave them alone. Like they'll be in trouble. Usually they're in trouble. And there's an isolation, like go to Mm -hmm. your room, make sure that the door is open, make sure that there's no way that they can hurt themselves. um, Make sure that there's no weapons in the house that they have access to. I mean, these kids did things like, I don't even know if I want to share this, but like copy gun safe keys when the parents didn't know, because it was hanging up somewhere and they took them and they had no idea they had copied the gun safe key. And then- uh, open the safe when they weren't there. Just and they're teenagers. You can't spend every waking moment with them. But if you know that they're going through something hard, again, it's an open conversation. Like you have to have conversations with your kids too. Yeah, I don't know why I'm turning into this, but I just feel like I learned a lot on that team about a lot of different ways that kids die, and the suicide one obviously is something that really is hard for me because I feel like I knew what that was like to go through that. But teenagers, and I was 19, so I was at the end of the teenagers, but I still feel like teenagers when you're in that moment, you don't see past more you don't realize mm-hmm. that life gets better after high school or that this stuff will go away and that you can go to a new school or whatever the problem is, they can't see past that. Um and they're impulsive. It's yeah. the other thing that's wrong with teenagers. They're impulsive. So they're more quick to do those things. But anyways, reach out to professionals, mm-hmm. call somebody who knows how to deal with this. Google it. Call the professional um hot suicide hotline. Yeah, we can put
0: that on our Instagram.
1: Yeah. I mean, just do just do anything to get them help, and and it might not be the right help, and you can't give up. You have to keep trying. Yeah, because like I said, like I got help, and it was the wrong help. Mm-hmm. So just just know that. The end. <laughs> <laughs> How do you like end something so awful
0: to talk about? You know, end scene. End
1: scene. <laughs> done. No. i done. No, that was about something super super intimate.
0: heavy. Yeah, and. But it's going to help people. It will. I hope so. You helped one person. I pray you that it does. Me.
1: I mean, God kept me alive for a reason. I hope it helps somebody mm-hmm. because there has to there has to be a reason. You're not
0: alone. Whoever's listening out yeah, there, yeah,
1: you're not alone. And 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 if you want to reach out to me on Instagram, yeah. reach out to me. I mean, obviously. I can't do anything if I'm not physically there to help
0: somebody. But I will slide into our DMs. Do
1: anything to help. That was weird. It was. Isn't that what you do <laughs> when you send a message? Yeah, but it's like it's like when you're like into somebody, you slide into their DMs. It's t- it's like a <laughs> it's play on words.
0: It's only when you're into
1: them. I mean, I don't know. I thought so. I thought you.
0: I thought that's just what you say when you're like instant messaging somebody on Instagram.
1: <laughs> no, I think it's like when you like somebody.
0: Remember, we used to say, "I am me." What. Yeah. What do you mean? Like I am me. Like instant message me.
1: Oh, I am me. Right. Like, yes. Yeah. Just I
0: am me. I thought, I thought like, you meant like just slide I into my A DMs. A I thought M- that's like the new me. lingo.
1: Oh, maybe. Maybe. That's I what I thought. So maybe if I'm I've been making this wrong. sexual
0: to so many people. <laughs> <laughs> that's gonna be really embarrassing.
1: They just think you're hilarious. <laughs>
0: <laughs> they think I'm all I'm hitting on all of them.
1: Yeah. No, I don't know. They just think you're like. I don't know
0: So stupid No She keeps on hitting on me But she's married <laughs> <laughs> oh, I yeah. don't know now I feel dumb
1: But I mean knows. I'm
0: probably wrong I don't do it Ever So anyway
1: All right Well, well we have to do like you. A super fun happy episode After this Because Yeah I feel like people Are gonna be like It's too heavy
0: Well That's what life is sometimes It is right so. <laughs> We'll do some fun stuff. We've had some really fun stuff coming yeah, up soon. we do. So thanks Stay for tuned. listening. We'll see you next time. Bye.